Welcome to Dragon Gray's Variety Show, another episode of Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, reading by Dragon DJ Gray. We'll also have a little bit more music and then a different book that will add to the series or to the reading today. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show.
Death Approaching Fast, a track developed by Dragon DJ Gray. All right, we're going to read another chapter of Lord of the Rings. This one is about the Shire. It's called Of the Ordering of the Shire. The Shire was divided into four quarters. The farthings already referred to north, south, east, and west, and those again, or these again, each into a number of folklands, which still bore the names of some of the old leading families, although by the time of this history these names were no longer found, only in their proper folklands. Nearly other families, nearly all Tooks still lived in the Tuk land, but that was not true of many other families, such as the Bagginses or the Boffins. Outside the Fatherings were the were the east and west marches, the Buckland, and the West March added to the Shire in S. R. fourteen sixty two. The Shire at this time had hardly any government. Families, for the most part, managed their own affairs, growing food and eating it occupied most of their time. In other matters, they were, as a rule, generous and not greedy, but contented and moderate, so that estates, farms, workshops, and small trays tended to remain unchanged for generations. There remained, of course, the ancient tradition concerning the high king at foremost, or Norbury as they called it, away north of the Shire. But there had been no king for nearly a thousand years, and even the ruins of King's Norbury were covered with grass. Yet the hobbits still said of wild folk and wicked things such as trolls that they had not heard of the king, for they attributed to the king of old all their essential laws. And usually they kept the laws of free will because they were the rules as they said, both ancient and just. It is true that the Tuk family had long been preeminent, for the office of Thane had passed to them from the old bucks. Some countries before, and the chief Tuk had borne that title ever since. The Thane was the master of the Shire Moot, and captain of the Shire Muster, and the hobbitry in arms, but as muster and moot were only held in times of emergency, which was no longer which no longer occurred, the thaneship had ceased to be more than a nominal dignity. The Took family was still indeed accorded a special respect, for it remained both numerous and exceedingly wealthy, and was liable to produce in every generation strong characters of peculiar habits and even adventurous temperament. The latter qualities, however, were now rather tolerated in the rich than generally approved. The custom endured nonetheless of referring to the head of the family as the Took, and of adding to his name it required a number, such as Isengrim II, for instance. The only real official in the Shire at this day was the mayor of Mikkel Delving, or of the Shire, who was elected every seven years at the free fair on the White Downs at the Leith, that is, at midsummer. As mayor, almost his only duty was to preside over banquets given on the Shire holidays, which occurred at frequent intervals. But the offices of postmaster and first sheriff were 
attached to the mayoralty so that he managed both the messenger service and the watch. These were the only shire services and the messengers were the most numerous and much the busier of the two. By no means all hobbits were lettered, but those who were wrote constantly to all their friends and the selection of their relations who lived farther off than an afternoon's walk. The sheriff's was this name that the hobbits gave to the police or the nearest equivalent that they possessed. They had, of course, no uniform, such things being quite unknown only a feather in their caps, and they were in practice rather haywards than policemen, more concerned with the strayings of beasts than of people. There were in all the shire only twelve of them, three in each farthing, for inside work a rather larger body bearing at need was employed to beat the bounds and to see that outsiders of any kind, great or small, did not make themselves a nuisance. At the time when this story begins, the, bo- the bounders, as they were called, had been greatly increased. There were many reports and complaints of strange persons and creatures prowling about the borders or over them. The first sign that all was not quite as it should be and always had been except in tales and legends of long ago. Few heeded the signs and not even Bilbo yet had any notion of what it portended. Sixty years had passed since he set out on his memorable journey and he was old even for hobbits who reached a hundred as often as not, but much evidently still remained of the considerable wealth that he had brought back. How much or how little he revealed to no one, not even to Frodo, his favorite nephew, and he still kept secret the ring that he had found. All right, that's one short chapter about Hobbits, or the Shire, which is interesting, as J.J. Um, uh, Tolkien describes and gives you the history of the Shire and everything. So keep reading, keep listening. The next chapter, we'll talk about the ring. It's called of The Finding of the Ring, and then it'll continue on. So here comes another song, another track, I should say. So sit back, relax. And enjoy it.
that was a track called The Dope Is, or The Beat Is Dope. All right, we're going to read a portion of this book because, this chapter of this book, because it's a long chapter. And so it's chapter four called The Reconciling from the book Dark Lands, The Forgotten, written by Lynn I. Kelly. And of course, you can find this on Kindle or Amazon.com. He was still trembling, though the cold had long since left him. His sister had draped a blanket over him and given him a large cup of hot cocoa, the persuasive, the pervasive smell of sweet chocolate wafting endlessly from it and warming his hands. Since being unceremoniously awakened and removed from the room of locking, Webb had done nothing more and said even less. Cain and Sundown had brought him to Matthias' room. Though upended and disheveled, the room still maintained a small sense of the tranquility for which it had always been known. The fresh atmosphere of loss notwithstanding, they had subsequently been joined by Raven, her touch on Webb's shoulder registering her presence before he ever saw her. Hers was a comforting touch, dare say even more peaceful than Matthias' abode. Former abode... Webb reminded himself, if proper description was warranted, Caleb and just Jake had also joined the group with a strong-looking redhead in tow. Webb seemed to recall her name was Casey. Was she not the one who had waylaid just Jake recently? Why was she here and holding just Jake's hand, no less? There was much Webb wanted to say, much he wanted to ask to the growing collection assembled before him, all of them staring somberly, except for Kane, who still held the ever-present scowl for which he was known. Webb, however, was content to just sit and stare, letting the vapor from the hot chocolate shield him from the prying faces. He felt scared and embarrassed, but mostly guilty for what had happened. Happened to them all, his sister, an immediate reminder, her being now older by a good sixty years thanks to his actions. He could have sat there for ages playing this game of stare-off, but Cain would have none of it. Now that you have had this warm greeting from all of these interlopers, it is time we move past this touchy-feely nonsense and get to the more serious matter at hand, Kane announced sharply. The room stared uncomfortably, except for Webb, who only shifted his weary eyes in Kane's direction, but no one said anything. The room stared, let me make myself clearer, Kane said gruffly. Everyone out except for Webb Thompson. He did not yell, but his manner of delivery was so strong that everyone jumped, Caleb going so far as to immediately move halfway out of Matthias's still unhinged doorway. I think not. This time it was sundown who shook the room. Cain looked tiredly in her direction. Everyone else remained as they were except for Caleb, who slowly slinked back to where he had been standing. Who is this woman who actually just talked back to Cain? Caleb whispered to just Jake. You're asking me? You've been around her longer than I have. I figured you knew who she was. Just Jake rejoined her quietly. 
Never seen her before, Caleb whispered, but if she keeps arguing with Kane, she'll be my new hero. Just Jake grinned. Even Casey stifled a laugh, but otherwise, the trio remained focused on the exchange at hand. They were still uncertain what was happening, other than Webb being unlocked, as it were. That was a short version of Dark Lands of Forgotten, Chapter 4, Reconciling. We're going to add one more song, and then we're going to add one more story. So, all right, here we go.
That was Nurture. Nurture the Mind. All right, last book for today. EOTW, written by Dragan Gray. What's interesting about this book is it was written a while ago, but if you read the book, there are many things that are happening today in the world today that was written about in this book, which is interesting when you look back on that. Many, many moons ago, long before man was even imagined as a blink in the immense stratospheric minds of those with immeasurable power, whose very presence was beyond any known explanation, forces were waiting to control everything that was to come. It was ab- eternal once the first life blinked into existence, and from that instant, a battle seemed to be brewing. It was then that the one who possessed control over all beings decided that another of the powerful should pay the ultimate price, banishment, for his greediness. I did nothing to deserve exile, thought Norivalania, who was the second and most powerful being in existence. I will get my revenge. I will soon be the one who is ruling. Let him see what it means to be banished. I wonder if there's any similarities that you can think of. Beings known as ethereals roam the sky constantly in peace and harmony. They always glide effortlessly over the terrain of green and blue. Time being of no consequence to them, they enjoy the beautiful exhibition of light and they bring joy to the skies which already are glistening with colors of blue, yellow, and green, cascading ubiquitously. The scene seemed to underline serenity, ensuring constant happiness and joy to all who existed there. Just the possibility of banishing a colleague caused the light to fluctuate. The only time it ever happened... Sorrow permeated the peace and harmony for a brief moment. Everything was a part of the unknown. They didn't even know how to react. It was all so new. One could hear murmurings and grumblings. It was more than not knowing what it meant. It was an embodiment of the unknown. To them, it was actually the seeds of chaos. Reacting to the confusion, Almitanius quickly brought equilibrium back by changing the confusing new hues back to the standard blue, yellow, and green. Soon, peace and harmony returned. Filled with anger, resentment, and the deepest hatred he had ever experienced, nor Evelania believed it would take a bit of time, something actually akin to eternity, to get out of this new and barren place of torture, darkness, and wretchedness where he had been so cruelly banished. He would have to use every tool at his disposal to make changes. He would exclude nothing. It wasn't long until Almitanius was con- content with his newly amassed power, but he soon sensed that something was missing and pondered. Why should we be the only ones to experience this existence? We should create a being that could enjoy the peace and harmony. Existence wouldn't be programmed. It would be an experiment. We could instill in them the ability to make choices. Then Norivalania wouldn't be satisfied, or would be satisfied too. It would be a kindness to him, somewhat. He could have subjects, and perhaps then he will be satisfied. They will be like us, but with no extraordinary powers. Their powers will be potential. It could be easy for them to make choices. They could have control over their own outward appearance. It might be a challenge to keep them balanced, but the cocoon desired one thing. 
equilibrium. The cocoon should have our form. We will make him and a companion and place him in the luminous atmosphere. There they can prosper and exist in peace and harmony. To help them exercise their power, we will place a beautiful vine with colorful flowers mixed with edible leaves. They will be instructed that they should avoid contact with the vine. If they ignore the warning, it will show they do not deserve to remain in peace and harmony. This behavior would be an outward indication that they might prefer the unknown outcome of experimenting with their own desires to the tried and true, the known consequences that have been striving for peace and harmony. That was step number one. Banished from the kingdom to a place of total darkness and hatred called Hethanos, nor evil Aeneas sat on his self-made throne of red stone. He was sulking. Actually, it was more like burning with hatred. The few, two of them, vanished along with him because of alliances that had been embedded, embedded since the beginning of his, his banishment, watched and waited for his command. They offered suggestions of a multitude of retaliation modes. He listened to their ideas, and then he responded. Wow. Hmm. Interesting. You can find this actually on uh, Amazon, EOTW, End of the World, again written by myself, Dragan Gray. Next week, we'll add some more to that uh, as we add it to one of the other series that I've been reading. This has been an episode of Dragon Gray's Variety Show. We won't do music on the last one. We'll just go ahead and finish it up with this. But there is one thing that we will do, and that is uh, talk a little bit about, uh, as we did last time, about um, writing. Just remember that, as I said last week, an outline makes a big difference. As well, it's important to look at what your balance or limit is as far as self-publishing, if that's the route that you want to go. Know how much it's going to cost. Look into that. Look at what your options are as well as if you're going to use social media, which is still important. Identify which platforms are best suited for not just marketing your brand, your book, but gathering people to buy your book, which does include a website and the websites that are most efficient and yet easy to manage and easy to utilize. All right. Again, this was an episode of Dragon Gray's Variety Show. Check back next time in a couple days and we'll do the next podcast. Stay safe. Stay healthy.